Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little bit about adfreeshows.com. People often ask me, what exactly is adfreeshows all about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Not only do you get early ad-free access to all of my podcasts starting at just $9, but you also get many of your other favorite wrestling podcasts like Click This with Kevin Nash, Gentleman Villain with William Regal, Oh, You Didn't Know with Brian James, and others for, yes, still just $9 a month. That's 14 podcasts in total every single week, early, with no ads. That's like 20 cents an episode. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple Podcasts or through your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Want some more cheese on that Whopper? AdFreeShows.com has literally tens of thousands of hours worth of bonus content, including fantastically popular series like Eric Fox Back, Idle Chase, and Strictly Business. And I don't know why this is a thing, there's even more than 40 Ask Conrad episodes waiting for you at adfreeshows.com. We've got monthly Zoom chats with all the podcast hosts, live watch-alongs with wrestling legends, and more. Come on now. See for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans have already discovered. That's adfreeshows.com. It's the best value in wrestling today. Check it out right now. Adfreeshows.com. You'll be glad you did. Listen, man, I know it sounds too good to be true, but I want you to just do me a favor and run on over to savewithconrad.com. Get yourself a quick quote. My man, Andy M just left us a five-star review over at conradreviews.com. And he had this to say, the effort and communication from Josh was above and beyond. We ran into several unexpected hiccups along the way, but Josh kept us informed and kept looking for options to get things done. In the end, we were still able to refinance to a 15 year loan, where we're going to be able to pay it off in 10. And we took enough cash out to pay off our credit cards, my truck loan, and even buy my wife, her very first new vehicle. We're going to save over $500 a month from what we would have been paying without the refinance. We can't thank everyone enough. Now guys, that right there is a win, win, win situation. Let me explain over the last couple of years, your house is probably worth more than ever. Now, what you do with that equity is up to you. And what I'm going to recommend is we do what our man Andy did. Andy took himself from a 30 year loan down to 15 years, but he's planning to pay it off in 10. Now, how can he afford to do that? We got rid of all his credit card debt, just like that. 
We got rid of his truck loan and we even got him enough cash to get his wife a new vehicle. The result, cheaper monthly payments. How does that happen? How do you get a new car, pay off a truck and get rid of your credit cards and cut years off your loan? You go to savewithconrad.com. We're going to get you cheaper monthly payments. And how's this for starters? No house payments for the next two months. That's right. You can skip your next two payments. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And buddy, if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. And here's the best part. We don't say no. We say not yet, but here's how. I don't care if you relate here or there. Maybe you had a bankruptcy back in the day. Maybe you were late on a credit card. We're going to help you figure out how to get in the situation that your family needs now and long-term. We want to be your mortgage advisor for life at savewithconrad.com. Woo Wings, a virtual restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Florida, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa in Alabama, with many more locations coming soon. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion. Tell them, Nate. Wings! Legendary flavors! World championship wings! Woo! Woo wings! Yeah! Woo woo! Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks. And we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer. Ladies and gentlemen, your friend and mine, Easy E, Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? I'm just kicking back and enjoying me a wonderful weekend. Mrs. B is out of town. She's with the kids down in Florida for about a week. So it's me and the dog doing me and the dog shit. It's just fun. I it's love a beautiful it. day here. We had snow last night, believe it or not. What? Yeah, I woke up this morning and the sky was blue and not a cloud in the sky. And I looked up and the, the mountains were covered with snow. So wow. sometime last night, it, it snowed. How about that? Didn't expect to hear that on October 2nd. That's what we're recording today. But I also didn't think we'd be talking about this topic. Yeah, a lot of folks, or I saw really strong feedback from another profile that we did last week on Dean Malenko. One of the unsung heroes of WCW in the Nitro era. And uh, what a great legacy he left behind. But every time we do one of these personality profiles, it feels like I get really, really great feedback. And last week was no exception. What'd you see about Dino Machino? I, I well, you know, I saw a lot of the same things you did, uh, literally, but uh, I agree with you, man. I, I got a lot of really positive, um, and not only positive saying, Hey, you know, gr- great, great podcast, but I was watching other people engage and debate and discuss Dean's career. So I, I love seeing that, man. I love seeing good, healthy conversation on, on social media. One of the all-time greats, Dean Malenko. And uh, I know how, you know, you held him in such high regard and obviously everybody listening to this did too, but today, boy, it's going to be something a little different. I'm excited about this one because, you know, I think you've met 
the, the, the fabled Clint from Hershey, my best wrestling friend growing up. And uh, he absolutely loved this character, his favorite wrestler of the attitude era. And it wasn't close is our topic today, Raven. And of course, the first time we see Raven in WCW, he's not running around as Raven. We'll get there. Uh, he first comes into this world, September 8th, 1964 in Philadelphia, grows up in Florida, graduates, uh, from the university of Delaware with a degree in criminal justice, and then decides, Hey man, I want to start to become a wrestler of all things. Starts to, uh, train with Larry Sharp at the, the famed monster factory as his debut in 1988 versus Jimmy Jack funk. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about the monster factory here on the program. Any experience with Larry Sharp or the Monster Factory over the years? I never did directly. I, I'm sure others like <clears throat> Kevin Sullivan and Terry Taylor and and perhaps Mike Graham uh, for a while probably engaged with him quite a bit, but I, I never had any contact with Larry. Uh, early on, uh, Scotty is, is, is going to be wrestling as Scotty the Body. Uh, he's going to start in, uh, or wrestle in the world wrestling council down in Puerto Rico, and even make some shots in Memphis, uh, for continental as Missy Hyatt's boy toy from there. He's going to work uh, a little more in Florida, Vancouver and Portland, Oregon, before he finally has a tryout with uh, the WWF in October of 1990, taking on Coco beware in Springfield, Illinois. And he starts to go, uh, do some work for global, which was uh, kind of a pop-up. And boy, what a great, fascinating topic that would be in long form. Did you pay any attention to the, the silliness that was global or how that all came to be? You know, I dropped in on it from time to time just because I was aware of it, but I I certainly didn't want, I probably haven't cumulatively, cumulatively have watched 20 minutes of global throughout its existence, but you know, little clip here and there. I was aware of it. Fascinating story. Go out of your way to check it out. We did a whole episode of it on, um, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard years ago, but while Scotty's there, he's not only going to wrestle some, he's even going to dabble in some color commentary there before eventually joining WCW in early 1992 as a character known as Scotty Flamingo. Uh, you would have first gotten to know Scotty as this Scotty Flamingo character or persona in WCW, right? Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about that obviously as we were preparing to do this show. And I was trying to remember, you know, what, what was my first contact and an impression of Scotty Levy as Scotty Flamingo, as you pointed out in 92, I was still a B squad announcer, C squad. I don't think I moved up to B squad at that point yet, no. but I was just backup announcer and, you know, diamond Dallas page and I traveled a lot to the various TV tapings because they were all within a 150 or 200 mile radius of Atlanta for the most part. And I first met Scotty Levy, uh, I think maybe on his way to his first TV shot in WCW because he and Diamond Dallas Page were friends and had known each other, I guess, for quite some time. And that was my first uh, interaction with Scotty. What was your impression of, uh, the, the real life Scott Levy, not the raving character or the the television persona, Scotty Flamingo, but the real life Scotty. Um, my impression then my first impression of very, um, personable guy, very outgoing, great sense of humor, uh, 
could tell right away he was pretty smart and in the sense that, you know, he thought through things, you know, a lot of times when you're in, or sometimes when you're engaged in conversation with someone, it's kind of superficial and you're just touching on all the, the main points in a, in a topic, but Scotty, I could tell right away, he was kind of a deep thinker. He, he, he went deep into his explanation of things that we were talking about. So it just, just impressed me as a really intelligent, personable, um, and positive, positive guy. I like being around him. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. I know that, uh, you know, back in the day, there was a phrase, you know, business happens in the bar and you really learn in the car and all these sort of things. When you were spending time with Dallas and Scotty, were y'all talking about life stuff or mostly wrestling stuff? Oh, no, mostly wrestling stuff. Yeah. I mean, th- think about it. You got diamond Dale's page behind the wheel. Yeah. He doesn't ever stop talking about wrestling. No, or he didn't back then. Now he's probably talking about other things. Not yoga, but DDP yoga, or he'll burn my ass for if I say it wrong. Um, but no, I mean, DDP, you could probably say maybe not clinically obsessive. But yes. Most people would, would categorize him as obsessive. And Scotty was kind of the same way. And, and part of that is because of what I mentioned a few moments ago about just being a really deep thinker. So the discussions tended to be, I was always in a backseat. You know, I was a little guy and, uh, I'll just sit back there listening to these two. And it was, it was interesting. So in your opinion, you felt like he had, as we hear sometimes a mind for the business. Oh, I don't know if I thought about it in that context, you know, I mean, I, mean, I that, that, that mind for the business thing is something that's kind of come up in the last 10 or 15 years more predominantly, I guess, because of the internet. But I, I just thought he was a smart guy and I liked the way he broke down. I didn't even think of it in those terms back then. Cause again, this is 1992. I'm a C squad announcer. I hadn't produced anything at that point, really well, right. any television. So my mind, I didn't think like a producer. I just thought like, you know, a wrestling fan that happened to be an announcer for WCW and I, again, I, I thought he was very creative. My, my other impression of Scotty and hearing those conversations is he, he stretched creatively quite a bit, Yeah, which is, I think a good thing. You can always, as I've said before, you know, you can slow a fast horse down, but you can't speed a slow horse up. There you go. I and, like that. And, and I think Scotty was my impression of him is he was one of those fast horses, young, relatively new to the business, had some experience obviously, but not at, at, at a significant level in terms of television exposure. So very, very energetic young man. What did you think of the Scotty Flamingo character that you saw on TV? Did you think that that had legs in 92 or did you think, yeah, you know, it kind of it? fit the, it, it was the archetype, right? Right. It was a character archetype in 1992. It was flamboyant. It was colorful. It was WWE esque, meaning that it was very much character driven, uh, almost to the point of being a little silly, but that's the way a lot of characters were. They were over the top yeah. in their own way. 
But I thought, again, at that time, and it was really, I think, a dusty roads. At that time, you know, I was so, I don't want to say starry-eyed, but, you know, Dusty, I looked up to a lot, yes. especially in the very beginning. And he, and he really took me under his wing. And Dusty made it a point for me to feel very comfortable and and try to be successful and grow in WCW. Nothing selfish about Dusty. And as a result, I kind of leaned into whatever Dusty thought, whatever Dusty felt. I always gave Dusty, especially when it came to creative, because I had no experience in that. I didn't even really have an opinion on it. Um, I, my brain didn't think that way at that time. So if Dusty was excited about a character, guess what? So am I. And Dusty was pretty excited about Scotty Levy. He believed in it. I'm not asking this to be funny. I'm asking because sometimes, you know, when I've had creative discussions with Bruce, he would try to drill in when I said, Oh, I really liked the so-and-so character. So I want to ask you now using a Bruceism, if you will describe to me, the Scotty Flamingo character. Can you tell me who that character was? To me, he, he was that he was the life of the party. Yeah. If, 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 if he was, if there was going to be a beach party somewhere in Florida or a, a great party at somebody's house, Scotty Flamingo was going to be there and he's going to be holding court. He was that high energy. I'm trying to think of another character um, to, to compare him to. And I don't think there's anything really there. You know, he's not. I can't think of a character that exists today that's like him, but I think if you look back at any really successful, you know, frat movie comedy, yes, there's always that one character, yes, you know, that's the life of the party and yes. the focus of of all the energy, and that's that's who we reminded me of. Fantastic, great job. So Scotty the Body wins the light heavyweight uh, title from Brian Pillman at Beach Blast '92. He loses it to Brad Armstrong a couple of weeks later. And the transformation from the light heavyweight division to the cruiserweight division for WCW, boy, that's going to evolve in a big way over the next few years. Absolutely no disrespect to characters like Brian Pillman or Brad Armstrong or Scotty, the body, but it does feel as if boy, when the, the nitro era starts, we really throw some gasoline on that championship. Do we not? Absolutely. Yeah. It was, as we talked about a lot here, Yeah, it was a crucial critical part of, of Nitron and the success of it. Talk about an interesting cast of characters. Scott is going to soon align with diamond Dallas page and Vinny Vegas very briefly as the diamond line. And even has a boxing match with, uh, Johnny B bad at clash of the champions in November of 92 and DDP is going to fill his boxing love with water to help Scotty Flamingo win. <laughs> We're trying to be a little creative here in 1992. I'm, I'm I forgot all about that. And I'm picturing it as you're saying it. And man, is that stupid? <laughs> it's really stupid. Uh, but I do like the idea. Think about those personalities, man. You know, years later, Kevin Nash, DDP and Raven as a group Boy, the car rides alone. We should have just had cameras in the car. That's where the story was. You, you know what? If you had that footage. Like if somebody, well, first of all, they didn't have the technology back then to yeah. really do it. But if, if, you know, one of those big ifs that could have happened, just that would have been the most valuable footage in the wrestling world. I would be competing with like WrestleMania footage. It, 
that would be good. Hilarious. <laughs> it would be be interesting. It'll be really interesting to go back and hear how I'll just speak for myself, how my opinion has evolved over the years with experience, obviously. But to go back and hear, you know, DDP talking about his character and his story or yes. Scotty or whomever, Kevin Nash back during that time and compare it to the way today. they feel now. Yeah. And, and it, yeah. Is it relative? Is it, is it on the money? Is it holy smokes? Can you believe they even thought that back then? It'd be fun. What about Bill Watts? Uh, you know, eventually Bill Watts is going to come into power in WCW. And uh, I guess he has a falling out of sorts. Scotty, the body, Scott Levy, Raven, Flamingo, whatever you want to call him. He's going to leave, uh, in early 93 over allegedly some disagreements with Bill Watts. And it feels as if, boy, that was just pretty common. Uh, he was a tough cat to get along with. Were you surprised that, uh, Scotty didn't find some footing with Bill Watts? No. Yeah. No, Bill. No. And, and I don't want to say anything negative about Bill Watts. It hasn't already been said, so I'll leave that alone. But it, it, it there were a lot of people that had a hard time fitting in. And yeah, look, part of it was Bill Watts came to WCW with the idea in mind is of we're, we're going to cut costs into profitability. Yes. He had no, had no understanding of the revenue side of the business as it existed in the early nineties in cable television. It's not Bill's world. Just like it wasn't Vergania's world. Right. There's a lot of parallels between Vergania and Bill Watts in some respects. Neither one of them understood or fully appreciated the opportunity that cable and pay-per-view provided until after somebody else did it. And I think when Bill Watts came into WCW, he didn't really know much about WCW. I don't think he understood the revenue model as it needed to exist then. He just knew what he read in the dirt sheets or whoever told him that they were spending money like crazy. So Bill Watts came in and his idea was cut the guts out of out of everything you can. And the only thing that you could really cut the guts out of was the talent budget. And that created a lot. And I'm not saying, you know, yeah, I am saying that was the wrong thing to do, but I understand why Bill did it. Um, but yeah, as a result of that, I'm sure Scotty was one of many people who had an issue with Bill Watts. And, and on top of the fact, Bill Watts was just a dick the way he treated people. Well, speaking of cuts and dicks, I want to talk to everybody about Manscaped because it's fresh ball fall, baby. <laughs> it's the season of pumpkin spice and making sure your crotch looks nice. <sighs> That means sipping cider in a fall breeze and using Manscaped products to trim your balls with ease. That's right. Today's show is brought to you by Manscaped, a company that will help you make sure that your foliage isn't the only thing shedding its excess leaves. Hey, even mother nature knows it's time to lose the excess clutter this fall. So join the 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code 83 weeks. Now, whether you're brand new or already with us at Manscaped, you could uh, use the crown jewel of the care for your family jewels. We're talking about the Platinum Package 4.0. This glorious package can help you align your entire hygiene routine in one felt swoop. Inside, you get a 10-part Platinum Package. It's everything you know and love about the Performance Package, plus some shower goodies to help you elevate your grooming game to Platinum. How about that Lawnmower 4.0, Daddy? This body trimmer is outstanding. We've talked about it a lot here on the show. What about the weed whacker nose and ear hair trimmer? They both have the proprietary advanced scape since uh, skin safe technology going to protect those delicate holes, those delicate parts. 
And by the way, they're all waterproof. So you keep scaping even when the weather changes. In addition to shaving, now they've got the shower routine upgrade for you. How about the ultra premium body wash and the ultra premium two in one shampoo and conditioner. Now you'll have your skin and your hair feeling hydrated and fresh. You don't have to uh, worry about the deodorant either. I got you covered aluminum free ultra premium deodorant. Don't worry. It's not pumpkin spice. It's a cologne quality fragrance. And we couldn't forget Eric's favorite. And I know Tony Schiavone uses it every morning. We're talking about that proprietary ball deodorant known as the crop preserver and the crop reviver. When you get Eric's age, man, your boys start to hit the toilet water. You don't want that anymore. You need that crop <laughs> reviver. No sweaty balls for you. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts for their platinum 4.0 package. The manscaped boxers and the shed travel bag all made for those special handles. You got down below, get this platinum package this fall. These products are guaranteed to be hits for your dangly bits. One more time. It's manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code 83 weeks. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. When you use the code 83 weeks manscaped, clear out the leaves. It's your tree trunks. Time to shine. <laughs> it's just like the way you open. First of all, that transition was just like Thank you. better than the one that I thought you should get an award for last week. Actually. Thank you. Thank you. And then the poetry it's like Edgar Allan Conrad. Well, that, manscapes. I can't even take credit for that. That's all manscaped. These guys are smart marketers. They've got great products. We love them. And even Bill Watts would be proud because you're saving 20%. You know, he's here to cut the budget, cut your dick hair, save you some money. Go check it out. Manscaped.com. And you know, w w at the Ric Flair roast, I opened up my, my, uh, my portion of that talking about manscaped yeah, and how buddy. much I love it. Yeah. And I do travel with it everywhere. And at one point as I'm kind of laying out this joke, but it's, it's the truth. You know, the funniest stories, at least for me come yes. from real life. Yes. And the truth is, and I don't know, maybe it was several years ago. Now I went in to get my haircut and all of us, it was the first time. That's why I remember this so vividly. The barber was like spending a lot of time trimming my ears. And I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck, what oh, is he doing no. with my ears? I'm oh, here for no. a haircut. I got shit to do. Yeah. And I'm sitting there in both of my ears. Now, mind you, I'm farsighted, meaning I can't see anything up close, especially unless I have my glasses on. Right. But even with my glasses on, and I don't really, when I get out of the shower and I'm drying myself off or shave and brush my teeth, I don't really notice the hair in my ears. I didn't. I do now. But I realized I took a, Mrs. B has one of those magnifying makeup mirrors oh, yeah. on her side of the bathroom. And I went in there and I looked and it looked like a fucking wild animal. I mean, there's so much hair in my ears. So yeah, the, uh, is it the weed whacker? The weed whacker. I got one. I love and it. And I carry that thing around all in my ear and every once in a while, because again, I have gray hair. So when you get a gray hair in your nose, oh, it's noticeable. Out. Yeah. You know, you may not see it. You know, if you're farsighted, you're not paying attention, you're in a hurry, but you're, when you're in a business meeting, you're talking to somebody, you got this long fucking gray hair sticking out of your nose. It can be a little awkward when yes. you realize it. So I don't even take the chance. I'm, I'm up there with my weed whacker almost every other day, man. You're in that nose. Like Bill Watts was in those WCW books, manscape.com. The promo code is 83 weeks, save 20%. I do want to talk about bill. Because 
you know, and I know he's on our topic. We're talking about Raven. We'll do a little sidebar and we'll get back to it. But I'm talking about later this week, we're doing a, a bit of a profile piece on Mick Foley's time with Bill Watts, because of all the folks you would have imagined would be a Bill Watts guy. I don't think I would have imagined that Mick Foley was, but, uh, Bill really liked what Mick was doing. And I thought that was cool, but I don't know that I would have guessed that anyway. So we did a whole show on him and the more I learned about Bill, the more I think he was probably a victim because you just said something a minute ago that triggered this for me because you said, Hey, there's, there's a lot of similarities and parallels between him and Vern Gagne. And we're not talking about the controversial stuff. I, I don't think, I think what you meant was, uh, and I don't mean to speak for you. I'm just guessing here. Hey, the business passed him by the business was changing faster than he could keep up. So when in doubt, he just leaned on what made him successful. And I couldn't help, but think, man, doesn't that, isn't that a trap that a lot of people who find success really fall into? For instance, Hey, this NWO shit's working out. What if we tried to do that again? Like, it feels like there's retread. Hey man, that DX shit was hot, was hot. Let's do Let's do it again. There, there is something to be said about, well, it worked before let's do it again. It doesn't always work that way, but I know once upon a time, WCW had really great success with that. I mean, how did WCW really level up? And I know people would say it's the NWO and I'm not arguing that, but when you first bring in the yellow and red Hulk Hogan and you put him against Ric Flair, it sets all kinds of records for WCW in the summer of 94 beach blast or bash at the beach rather. And WCW never really looked back with the success of that show. Eventually you're able to spin off nitro and now you're competitive with raw and Certainly the NWO was, was the thing that took the catalyst up and blah, 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 but leaning on, Hey man, here's the most bankable star in, in ever, not just modern history, but ever let's just get him, figure it out. And it worked, uh, until it didn't, but that's sort of the trappings that a lot of successful people fall into, right? Let's, let's, let's do what brought us to the dance. Perhaps I think it's human nature. Yeah, of course it's human nature, especially when you're in the entertainment business. Um, you're, you're going to lean on past successes and past experiences. Good, good and bad, hopefully. Um, specifically with promoting because you're, you're trying to guess, right. And figure out, Hey, what's the next big thing? What'll get, what's going to get some attention? What will hit? What will people be attracted to? Well, that, but I think with the, in the case with Bill and why I wouldn't cut him quite as much slack, okay, is he was going back to a strategy. It wasn't a creative strategy; it was a business strategy that worked for him in an era where the revenue model was completely different than the revenue model that he was stepping into at WCW. Now you can say, well, he was just going back and doing what, what got him to the dance in the first place, but how big of a dance did he get to? There you go. He, he got to a junior high school prom or high school prom. He was never, he was never a major player in the television industry. Television was a means to an end for guys like Bill Watson, Vern Gagne. Television wasn't the end or at least a significant significant portion of the revenue model then. So when you take a job working for a company like Turner Broadcasting and you haven't availed yourself with the information or the knowledge uh, 
or, or an understanding of the how does the wrestling business work in this particular company that, by the way, is a television company? Right. It's like kind of, you know, first thing you'd think about, I think you should. How does, how, how am I going to take the experience I had in Mid-South in dealing with talent and all of that? And how am I going to make that work in this new environment that I really don't know much about? And I think if Bill would have been able to acknowledge that he had, you have to know what you don't know. Right. Instead of just storming in through the door and bigfooting your way through everything and hoping it works out. And that's what Bill Watts did. He didn't understand. He didn't really understand pay-per-view. He didn't really understand television. He certainly didn't understand what made a good television show, at least at that time in the early nineties, he may have been able to do a really good one hour studio show in mid South, you know, that filled up an arena somewhere in his territory, but that's not the same thing as good television. And Bill didn't know what he didn't know. And rather than learning it, he just came in and bigfooted his way through it. Well said. So uh, eventually we know that, uh, Scott Levy, our topic today, as we said, he's going to leave Bill Watts and, and pop up briefly in Memphis. And then he becomes Johnny Polo in the WWF. I think it happens in May of 93. He's going to pop in as the manager for both Adam bomb and the Quebecers. We haven't really spent a lot of time talking about what you watched or didn't watch of the competitors. Were you watching any WWF TV in 93? No, no. I mean, again, I, I was aware if I heard about something that maybe was coming up, that was significant that people were excited about or interested in. And I got word of that. I'd check it out, but I'm, I, I didn't study it. I didn't keep track of it. I, I didn't really think about it much. I'm not asking this to be funny or argumentative. I'm trying to learn. Why not? Did you not think it was important to see what the leaders in the space were doing, what the competitors were doing, or did you not want to have any of your ideas tainted where you started to position yourself to be, as you've often said on the show, less than better than, or different than, Hey, if I'm watching their stuff, it's going to influence me. Is that part of the strategy or something else? No, I mean, look to the extent that there were things about the WWF that were really noticeable to me, different than WCW, better than WCW. Let's specifically production values. I watched WWF at that time. And when I would drop in more often than not, I was dropping in to see how they produce their show. Right. Wasn't tuning in to watch a wrestling match. This is going to sound horrible. I'm going to get burned. I'm going to get. I'm going to get crucified for what I'm. Let's do it. Let's do it. But guess what? (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) I'm not a big of. I'm just not that big of a fan of wrestling matches. I'm a big fan of story. The story and the way the show is architected. That's a word. Built, formatted created i'm i'm a i'm a big fan of new ideas sometimes they work sometimes they don't so when i watch wrestling even back in 93 i didn't watch it the way people that like to watch wrestling watch it i watched it and broke it down and at that period in time in particular 93 cuz now i'm executive producer shortly thereafter when i started watching i am my world my universe was limited to Lights, audio, graphics, 
venue selection for TV to a certain extent, you know, I had control over the physical production of the show. Right. I had zero input on the creative side of things. So I didn't think about things that I didn't have any input on. I only thought about and sought out examples of what the competition was doing better as it related to the things that were in my wheelhouse. I just didn't play in other people's sandboxes or I was not even curious about their sandbox. I want to see how they shot this shit. Yeah. I wanted to get a feel for their formatting. I wanted to get a feel for their graphics and you don't have to watch the show every week to do that. Well, if you were watching the show, you would have seen that he was being used as a manager and he would occasionally uh, work as a color commentator. And he started to get more and more reps there, uh, working with Vince McMahon or gorilla monsoon on TV. Uh, and then he winds up, you know, deciding that he needs to reinvent himself, uh, and, and becomes a character in ECW. But before we get there, it's kind of, do you think it's kind of odd that Vince McMahon, you know, saw clearly saw value in the guy. I mean, he's putting him on TV a lot as a manager and then all over TV when he's doing color and things like that, but not as a wrestler. That to me is kind of a head scratcher because it's, and listen, I understand that it would be easy to say, well, he was in the light heavyweight division. He's not a, he's not a small guy. Was that curious to you that Vince saw his value, you know, in front, not in the ring, but still in front of the camera. Again, let's, you know, is it weird to me now? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Because we've now become accustomed to guys who are smaller on the smaller side of larger than life. We become so accustomed to those to, to, that it's not a big thing anymore. Scotty is what? Six foot six, one, maybe. Yeah. I think he was billed at six, one, which to me, like anytime that came up, it's like, was he really smaller than Bret Hart? Was he really? No, I mean, Bret Hart. I mean, and part of it was Bret. Well, I don't want to talk about Bret right now, but Scotty, when he came into WCW, I was like, I noticed that he was smaller than a lot of the talent in WCW, even at that time. Right. He wasn't a big jacked up dude. Yeah. He's not a meathead. Yeah. No, he wasn't in the gym, you know, eight hours a day. And he wasn't taking all the vitamins that were so prevalent at the time. Okay. Um, he wasn't a big jacked up bodybuilder kind of dude. He was, he was good size. He was yes. average. Yes. You know, six, six foot, six, one. I think at the time, realistically, I don't think he weighed more than two ten. So knowing or believing, I know thinking, I know the way Vince McMahon looked at talent back then in, in the early nineties. Yes. Yeah, Scotty would have fallen on the small side of the roster. See, that's just he didn't weird have anything really unique. He wasn't a Shawn Michaels. Right. He was good, but he wasn't a Shawn Michaels or even a Shawn Waltman. He was, he was good. He was very good as an in-ring performer, but he wasn't exceptional. And because he wasn't exceptional, I don't think he probably got out of the Vince McMahon stereotype of no, he's too small. So he leaves the WWF in late 94. Uh, he wants to wrestle and, uh, there's been some, and well, Hey, we weren't there, but apparently, uh, Scott was uh, a party guy and he knew how to have a good time, not just as this character, but in real life. And apparently was running pals with, uh, Shane McMahon and maybe got Shane into a little trouble here and there with the family and staying out too late and, 
doing what young men do. And when he leaves the company in late 94, you're more in charge of WCW now than ever before. Do you remember Scott making any approach to see if there was any interest in maybe him coming back? Did anyone on your side of the fence say, Hey, what about not? What about Raven? That'd be years later, but (laughs) did it come up at all? Or does he just find his way down in in ECW? And that's when he's on your radar. Yeah. He wasn't on my radar at all. Um, either in WWF, really, I wasn't paying attention to what he was doing there and certainly not in ECW. Scotty, I mean, again, because I knew him, I I already worked with him in WCW in the early 90s. I was certainly aware of who he was. He ended up on my radar probably, I would say, Kevin Sullivan and or DDP are probably the ones that came and said, hey, Scotty's available. Take a look. I think he's got a character that works. That's my guess. I don't remember to be fair, but you don't remember having a conversation before ECW at all, right? I don't think so. I mean, not that I, no, not that I can remember not saying it didn't happen, but it certainly wouldn't have been a substantial conversation or one that I probably should remember 20 years later. I think as the story goes, uh, DDP has a pretty, uh, great relationship with Scotty. And I think he has mm-hmm. a lot of input on the raving character. And Raven becomes really maybe the character that Paul Heyman sunk his teeth into the most in that era. And a lot of people would say, well, it's because Paul sort of saw himself more as that character. And he had some great feuds with the Sandman and Tommy dreamer. Uh, there was even that controversial, uh, crucifixion angle. Does is any of his work at any point ever even mentioned to you in ECW? I mean, we know eventually, you know, when the transition happens in 97 and he comes over, but when you're hearing, I mean, are you hearing, man, you got to see these promos. They're unlike anything else. Or, Hey, did you hear about the controversy? They crucified a guy. Does any of that come up at all? Um, I'm, I would imagine something that's controversial, like a crucifixion. Yeah. Um, it would have come to me in one way shape or form again either kevin sullivan maybe ddp quite possibly Janie angle my assistant who's the one that usually made sure that i cut wind of things like that early on um but again it didn't like matter yeah i just didn't care to be honest so I know you weren't watching ECW at the time, but, uh, boy, they were putting on some, some really great programming. I assume you, you've mentioned before that Kevin Sullivan and Terry Taylor would have been two guys who were keeping a hold on that and, and giving you reports. I think so, yeah. I mean, again, I don't know that I never sat down and asked him and, uh, it never have, it's never come up, but I, in conversation with them, but I do know that Kevin in particular was interested in that market and, and that style of wrestling something that Kevin Sullivan was more interested in than others, you know, on the creative team. Um, and I think Terry Taylor as well because of relationships, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's my guess is that they're the ones that saw what was going on again. I didn't, nobody ever sat down and said, Eric, you got to look at this tape. Look what ECW did last night or last week or whatever. That never happened. So talk to me about, you know, how something like ECW would get on your radar and, and boy, I'm not trying to pick a fight here, but they have their first ever pay-per-view in April of 1997. Prior to that, of course, they don't have a television deal. Yes. They're on TV, but it's syndicated. It's Friday night, it's Saturday morning. 
it's the crack of dawn. It's 2 AM it's whatever. So it's not exactly something that a national company like WCW would really probably be concerned with, but now they're on pay-per-view and they're making a little bit of noise. And again, they don't have national TV. So how many pay-per-views are they really going to sell? Maybe it's not really a threat, but you often wonder, well, if I've got to even think about when they're on the calendar or does a wrestling fan have to think about, do I have it in my budget to buy one or two pay-per-views, but maybe not three this month, whatever it may be. All I know is there's an offer that comes down in June of 97, just a handful of months after, or I guess maybe even may is probably when it really happened. One month after the pay-per-view where Ravens in the main event as the world champion, dropping the title to Terry Funk. And then before you know it, there's conversations with WCW. And this has become a very controversial thing over the years, Eric. We've talked about this earlier this year. And I think you were even a little surprised that there was a story of a quote unquote mole. Maybe there was some backstage tension and, and the inner workings of ECW with Paul Heyman and Todd Gordon. And you were a Paul guy, or you were a Todd guy. And Todd was apparently friendly with Kevin Sullivan and was sharing contract information and trying to help some of that ECW talent make some more money. And one of those characters, maybe the first one is Raven. One of the top guys, former world champ, former main event of their very first pay-per-view. And now he's coming to WCW. And I'm sure that that's Kevin Sullivan, right? I would bet almost everything I own. Yeah. That would be the case. Yeah. So how, how is this character explained to you? Is it simply Eric? These guys are on pay-per-view. He's one of their top guys. We can get him and and it'll be affordable based on our pay structure. Or does he really love the character and think this will be new? This will be interesting. This will be fresh. What's the pitch to get you to go along? The the, the pitch was the character. Yeah. Again, because I knew Scotty, I worked with him. It wasn't like they were trying to introduce me to somebody I didn't know already. Um, and I, and I respected his, his ability as a talent in the ring. And I knew that, um, he was, he was potentially great on the mic. I think he needed some direction, but you know, there, that's subjective, but I, I knew he had all the potential on the mic. I knew that he was great in the ring and I was already familiar with him. So it didn't take a big pitch. It was, Hey, he's available. We need talent. Um, take a look at this character. It's pretty much it. Did you watch any of the character in ECW? Did they put together some sort of a highlight tape for you or something? No, I might, I may, maybe, I mean, I can't say for sure. Yes or no. I would have imagined that they would have, or, or it's look, it's quite possible that it's like, well, let's fly them in, take a look at them. We'll have a conversation and go from there and maybe not even see tape. That's just as possible. Well, I only bring it up because you've been pretty honest about saying, I didn't fucking like the character. I and, did. Uh, and I, it's fascinating to me. Hey, they wanted to bring him in. They liked the character and well, I didn't like the character. Why bring him in? Is because it, I could be wrong. Okay. I mean, I, I, look, there were a lot of characters. Don't say a lot. There were characters that I just went, Ooh, I don't know, yeah. but the audience liked them. Right. Right. I've, I've said this before and it's, it's worth noting again. I have a lot of respect for Ted Turner. Right. I mean, if you look at what that man accomplished in terms of media, we, we, we kind of have forgotten about the 
the frontier that he conquered not that long ago within our media lifetimes. And now we're on to Elon Musk and Bill Gates and all these others. But Ted Turner was a real pioneer and, and an amazingly gifted person. But one of the things that I remember, and Ted didn't say this to me directly, like in a meeting or in an elevator, it was part of a meeting that I was at. It was a company wide meeting. So there was whatever, but Ted said something to the effect I'm paraphrasing here is, you know, one of the things that I learned about programming my network is not to program it for myself. Because if I only program my networks for the things that I like, I'm entertaining an audience of one. Hmm. And you have to, and I, I took that to heart and it's just kind of common sense just because I don't like egg foo young doesn't mean that egg foo young shouldn't be on a, on a menu at a Chinese restaurant. You know, you gotta, you gotta program your network. You gotta create your television, your wrestling show. Um, you need to build your product list for your market. And maybe there's some things on that product list you may not necessarily enjoy, or there's something at that buffet you just don't really want to eat, but damn, there's a lot of other people that do. So you go with it. I didn't, I didn't base everything on what I liked and didn't like. It's what I saw potential in and didn't see potential in. Well, here's what we both like, and that's getting some good sleep and buddy, we're sleeping better than ever. Thanks to sleep. Me sleep. Me is the new home for chili sleep. We've been bragging about chili sleep forever. It's such a big part of Eric and I's lives and they're bringing you the same great sleep that chili sleep had, but under a new name, we're talking about sleep. Me sleep. Me makes the coldest and most comfortable sleep systems available. They create the perfect environment that meets the body's natural need for lower core body temperatures, promoting deeper, more restorative sleep. Chili sleep makes the Uller. That's what I've got the cube, and now the new dot pro sleep system. Either way, we're talking water-based temperature controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to give you the ideal sleep temperature. These mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep, cold sleep. These sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. And they also launched the brand new dot pro sleep system. It has two times, two times more cold power than the other models. It's whisper quiet. And it has a tubeless mattress pad design that allows for five times more cooling contact. Pair it with the new sleep.me app for enhanced device control and sleep scheduling. That's right. You can schedule it. My wife does this. Her bed heats and cools on a timer every single night. I say her bed as if we sleep in a separate bed. It kind of feels like it at times though. She likes her size warmer. I like my side cooler. And we can have that happening in the same bed at the same time. Chili sleep is amazing. Head on over. It's sleep.me forward slash 83 weeks to learn more and save 20% off the purchase of any new doc pro cube or Ehlers sleep system. This offer is available exclusively for 83 weeks listeners only for a limited time. That's sleep S L E E P dot me. That's M E slash 83 weeks. Take advantage of our exclusive discounts. Wake up feeling refreshed every day. Eric, I'm sold on sleep. Me, as I've mentioned here before, I've got one on my bed right now. I travel with one. I've even ordered the new doc pro sleep system. Yes. I'm saving 25%, man. You sold me when you told me it's whisper quiet twice as cold, man, they just keep getting better and we're sleeping better as a result, right? We are indeed. And in fact, Mrs. B, um, just ordered 
just ordered chili sleep for all of our guest bedrooms. Wow. Because it tends to get a little warm here in the summertime when people are visiting and we don't have air conditioning and it works so well for her um, that we said, okay, we've, you know, it's going to be a while, but you know, they're coming next summer. So let's start stocking them up. So we're adding like one bedroom at a time and uh, putting chili sleep on all of our beds for our guests. It's fantastic, man. You're going to love it. Your guests are going to love it. Just try it. I'm telling you everybody I've put this on. I mean it all my friends at the office, all my friends down at my favorite watering hole, my parents, everybody I know has heard me brag about chili sleep. Uh, yes, I'm their paid spokesperson here, but in my real life, I am an unpaid spokesperson because I believe in it. I love it. And you will too try it. I'm telling you, you'll be glad you did. That's uh, sleep.me. Come on now. So let's talk about, uh, he comes in here, he being Raven, he's going to make the debut. Uh, before we talk about that, you know, I, I hate to just be a brass tax guy here, but I'm going to have to occasionally you have in your perception where someone is going to be. If you were building a football team, you would think, okay, this guy is going to be the guy who can turn our whole franchise around. He will be our Michael Jordan. He will be our Joe Montana. Or he could just be a really good player on the team who makes the squad and helps the team, but maybe we can't necessarily build around him. So I'm not suggesting that perhaps the Raven character coming in, man, he's going to be our next thing. He's going to be our next Hulk Hogan. Uh, we don't like to talk about people that way, Eric, but when you're formatting a show, you have to, you've probably gotten your mind's eye, an A talent, a B talent, a C talent. I hate to categorize people that way, but I know this sort of thing has to happen when you're trying to figure out how all these puzzle pieces fit together. What group would you categorize Raven in? If you can't give me a letter or a tier, just throw me some other characters. I saw the Raven character achieving potential like so-and-so or such and such. Can you do that? I, 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 I do think of characters in a, in terms of A stories and B stories and C stories. There you go. And D stories. Um, Raven was a solid C-level player, B-level player potentially. But, again, put yourself in my shoes or anybody's shoes who's making a decision at that point in time. What do we do with this character? How do I see, do I see this character as an A character or a B character, C character, C level, whatever. Um, you know, you've got to work with the information and the knowledge you have at your fingertips and what knowledge and information that I have at that time when we were considering, or I was considering bringing Scotty in or how did I see him once I made that decision? Right. He was in WCW and he was in WWE and he was in ECW made a lot of noise, but not really same thing. And, and now I got a chance to bring him in here. What, what would it take for me to look at somebody who's been floating around and has had several pretty high profile opportunities just never quite made it didn't break through for whatever reason, his fault, other people's fault doesn't matter. He's never, he's never broken through. So what is the audience's perception of him? Probably close to the same as mine. Talented guy, fun to watch, interesting character, 
But the audience know he's never knows he's never broken through. He's never cracked that mid-level border, I guess, whatever you want to call it. The glass he's never ceiling. Broken through. Yeah. So why would anybody think that I would look at him and see something different than what the audience has been experiencing for quite some time? And it's not a knock on Scotty. And I know, you know, because I have been honest and just blunt. I didn't like the character. Doesn't mean I didn't like the guy. Right. Doesn't mean I didn't think the guy had a lot of talent. I just didn't feel that that character, as it was being presented to me and to others, was a a level, meaning, you know, main event potential, multiple main event pay-per-views per year, I didn't see him fitting into that category based on his body of work and previous success. Now, listen, I, I understand you're saying he couldn't break through sort of the middle of the pack is the way you were describing it, maybe, but he was in the main event of the ECW show. He was their world. Champion. I mean, who cares? That is, you know, we have, I have a promoter wrestling match here in Cody, Wyoming, and 500 people show up at an auditorium and I make myself a world heavyweight champion. Who the fuck cares? Well, no, well I'm with you, but my point is a smart mind in the business and Paul Heyman saw value in this character. And when he put his product out there and maybe it wasn't super substantial, but once upon a time, WC now 97, that's different. Once upon a time, the house show business for WCW was not what anyone would call very substantial either, but you still had sting on top. If sting was on top when things were bad, sting was on top when things were good. So it's not mm-hmm. necessarily always up to the guy, right? So some of this is just a function of the system he was in. Didn't have national television. Didn't have these big resources. But if he had perhaps created a character that a smart mind like Paul Heyman thought, man, he could be our featured guy. He could be in the main event. That's got to make you think. Well, with the right resources, with the right platform, maybe. Or do you not think that's the way it works? It's not the way it worked for me. Okay, Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman is a brilliant guy. Let's just get that off the table. There's not many people that I respect as much as Paul Heyman when in, in the wrestling business. Um, that said, Paul Heyman saw that Raven was the right guy for Paul Heyman's audience at that time. Paul Heyman's audience at that time was had nothing to do with WCW's audience or its target audience at that time. It, it, it's like, it's like going to a record label. And this is a bad analogy because I don't know fuck all about the music business, but because somebody happens to be a, a, a an up and coming country artist doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be able to be a pop artist. Right. I mean, they're two different audiences. Paul Heyman was playing to a very violent. Holy shit. You know, type of an audience that were looking for blood gore and extreme levels of violence that they couldn't get in any other form of television and the characters that liked to play them. Right. That's what Paul was doing. It didn't fit WCW. There was nothing commercial about it. There was nothing. (laughs) There are two different products. So 
while Paul saw all this potential in that particular character for his particular audience, doesn't necessarily mean that it would translate. Do you think in hindsight, Raven's run in WCW was doomed from the start just because you weren't sold on it, whether it was ECW or the character or I guess what I'm asking is, do you think this character was ever going to get a fair shake? Cause it does feel as if you've almost been you got a fair shake. Look, I had an opinion, but I still hired him. I wanted to be proven wrong. Yeah. I mean, I wanted, I, I hired him hoping that my judgment was wrong. My judgment was I didn't think that character was going to work. It, it wasn't big enough. It was so niche and it was in the character was ambivalent. It was just a miserable person. Go back and listen to some of those promos. If I, can, I mean, it's amazing. He was able to string some of them together and I'm not being critical, but they didn't fucking mean anything to anybody other than Scotty. There were two, I, uh, I don't know if this is really true, but I'll use it as an example. They were like so fucking cerebral. They were boring. Did it you? Just, it didn't. It didn't inspire emotion. That wasn't my fault. Well, that well, wasn't because I didn't see the character as something bigger than it was. He didn't deliver anything to make me realize I was wrong about him. Did you feel that way about Bray Wyatt's character? Sorry, we just jumped a decade or two here. <laughs> well, you uh, said cerebral, and a lot of people go back to the Bray Wyatt stuff because it is different. It is different. And it was a little more cerebral than some of the other, I don't like you, brother, and this Sunday night. It was a little different than that. It was it was different, but it was much, you know, the Bray Wyatt stuff was better produced. Sure. And it was more interesting. Scotty Flamingo would go out and sit down, flop down on his ass, leaning up against a guardrail, and just spew some shit that nobody but him understood. It didn't create any emotion. I think Bray Wyatt's stuff, for whatever reason, creates at least in intrigue yeah. and anticipation. And then the execution of that character, it over-delivers or delivers on that expectation. Scotty Levy didn't neither. It was just... Poor, miserable fucking me. The world is dark and miserable, and I'm dark and miserable, and I'm not really sure why I'm so dark and miserable, but fuck it, I am. All right. That's your character. Go for it. I didn't see it. I just, I could, you know, look, if you've got a contrast in your character, if all of a sudden, you know, Scotty came out and he was this miserable, dark, whatever, the, I don't even know how to characterize that character. Um, but whatever it was, the angst grunge. I mean, I've always thought it was a grunge character born out of the Nirvana era of great music. Now, where does it go? So if you've, if that's a big part of your persona and you, you, you're wearing it, you're dressing it, right. You're, 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 you're living that character and you're deep and you're dark and you're cerebral and people have a hard time even really understanding where you're coming from or what you're trying to say, but then you shift gears and get super aggressive and badass and violent. So if there's like a direct contrast between the two characters and I can anticipate or try to anticipate when I'm going to see that other character come out, you know, that is actually a badass. But when all I see is this fucking depressed, morose motherfucker, I don't care. I don't want to watch you. I'll go talk to my neighbor who's got bill collectors chasing him down. I don't, I, I don't need to be miserable in my spare time. 
All righty. Uh, why do I get so? Why do I get so excited about this shit? I don't know why. Well, I just think it's interesting that I mean, you bring the guy in and then basically just tell us often here. Didn't like it. Didn't have confidence in it. Didn't dig it. Didn't think it would work. But but Connor, why is it so hard to understand? I and I'm seriously, I'm not debating it here, but. If you if you can imagine putting yourself in my position where you've got to satisfy at that time, I don't know, five, six, seven million people a week. Yeah. Um, and you know that not everybody likes everything you like. Would you not try things that you didn't necessarily like or uh, think will work, hoping that you're wrong? Sure. But if you go into it sort of half assed. I didn't go into it half assed. We gave him a lot of opportunity. He got a lot of TV time. He got a fucking shit ton of my time to try to get that character over. It wasn't like he wasn't given an opportunity and we hired him and said, okay, now just stay in a locker room until we call you out and go out there and do a job for somebody. We gave him a lot of time and, and built flocks around him and every other damn thing he wanted to do. It just didn't get over. Not because I didn't like it. It just didn't get over. So we've talked about his first appearance earlier this year in the archives happened on the June 30th nitro. It was always reported that the, uh, the character we saw the Raven character in ECW was really a collaboration of Paul Heyman and Raven working together on the character. And boy, whenever we hear that sort of thing, a lot of people think about Vince Russo and how, you know, he worked well with Vince McMahon. But then when we saw Russo without Vince McMahon, people started to say critical and say, oh, well, that's what it was missing. Do you think in hindsight, perhaps some of the reason that the ECW character maybe was a bigger hit in ECW than it was in WCW was because Paul Heyman was collaborating there and he was not here. No. Okay. I'll go back to there were two different audiences. The ECW audience was a disenfranchised wrestling audience that didn't like WCW or WWE because it was too bland and too sterile and too cartoonish. So they went to an extreme with blood and violence and sex and every other fucking thing. But it was the disenfranchised that that disenfranchised wrestling fan that still wanted to watch wrestling, but just didn't want to watch WWE or WCW. That's that was his audience. And that disenfranchised, miserable, dark grunge character played well into that tiny little fraction of an audience that made up the audience that WCW had at the time. It, again, it worked for Paul. It wasn't going to work for either WCW or WWE. That audience wasn't interested in it. I guess what I'm not, trying to get not, to. Not to the extent that it, it needed to be to justify the amount of real estate that it was getting on television. I swear I'm not trying to set you up, but if we acknowledge that the Raven character was successful in ECW because he was collabing with Paul Heyman, there is no Paul Heyman here, but there's also no collaboration with you. And we've talked about it a lot here on the program that you spent a lot of time with the NWO, the Hulk Hogan stories, the sting stories, the big stories you were involved in. And we've heard for years and years that Vince really concerned himself with the main event. So he would spend a lot of time worrying about what the top guy, what the, the a story would be to use an Eric Bischoff phrase. And there was a collaborative effort. We've even heard that 
you know, when, when he, when he had a champ back in the day, he wanted to talk to that champ on a regular basis. They were in regular communication because that's where he felt his money was. He being Vince now here, maybe without that collaboration of the guy steering the ship, the Raven character was never going to achieve the same success. You disagree? Yeah. I mean, I do. I, I, if I would have been Raven, Scotty Levy, when Scotty first came in and if Eric Bischoff would have said, okay, Scotty, who do you want to work with on your character and your story? I would have been the worst person for him to choose. I didn't relate to that character. I, I just didn't. I couldn't, I couldn't come up with a good idea for a character that I didn't feel. Yeah. Whereas Kevin Sullivan over here to my right, this is, this is in his DNA. Like if he does an ancestry.com thing at some point in Kevin Sullivan's life, he's going to find out that he's related probably to Paul Heyman somewhere down the line. I mean, it's their DNA. That was their Kevin probably as much as anybody, not Paul, because Kevin didn't create that character. Evidently it happened with Paul and Scotty Levy, but on our entire team, Kevin Sullivan would have been the best person to collaborate with, not me. And by the way, if it would have worked and Kevin and, and Scotty would have had that Paul Heyman, Scotty relationship, and it would have worked, um, I'd have been the biggest fan. So I don't think, I don't think it's a fair, I understand why people would suggest it or think perhaps that was the case, but I, I don't believe that to be true. I, I created the opportunity. I committed to him financially. I committed television and real estate to him. I committed a lot to that character, even though I didn't relate to it, but others did. Well, when we do finally have this character debut for WCW, there's going to be some debate back and forth with ECW and WCW about the Raven IP. The observer had this to say, they claim Scott Levy came up with the Raven name and character with the help of diamond Dallas page. And the page offered him to Paul Heyman more than two years ago. Heyman at first was reluctant, figuring Levy was going to establish a new gimmick and just go back to the WWF. But Heyman was promised that Levy would stay a minimum of four months in ECW with the gimmick and wound up staying closer for two and a half years. Although Levy has acknowledged several times that he did sign a non-compete on pay-per-view contract with Heyman that expires on October 13th. He claims to not have a copy of the contract. Although the claim is that part of the deal is that Heyman acknowledged that all intellectual and Mark rights of the Raven name and character were Levy's and not ECW's, which would kill that point. Nick Lambros of WCW apparently asked Heyman to send a copy of the contract because they informed Heyman they were planning on using Levy on the July 13th pay-per-view show in the letter. It specifically stated that if Heyman didn't respond in 10 days, they're going to put Raven on the show. Heyman never responded nor sent WCW a copy of the contract, which from a legal standpoint, because of the warning WCW feels it was in the clear to use Levy on the show, a point agreed with by one contract lawyer I spoke with regarding that point, Eric Bischoff in a prodigy chat with Bob Ryder basically acknowledged the same point. It was a last minute deal on the pay-per-view as the company was expecting Heyman to spring the contract on them at the last minute. And if they felt it was binding, the Raven Richard segment would have been scrapped from the show. Now, listen, we've talked about this before, 
that there's some magic threshold. Maybe it's under hundred grand. Maybe it's 200, maybe it's 80 grand, whatever it is. Once you understood the system, you could pretty much sue Turner back in these days and they would just settle and get you a check. Did this, is that what this felt like to you, Paul, just trying to get a quick payday here? Cause he knew. Yeah, that- of course it was Paul, Paul, look, Paul cried wolf all the time. Uh, you know, Paul's dad was an attorney and, and Paul grew up, you know, in a household with an attorney and Paul is a brilliant guy and he probably learned enough about law, just being in the vicinity of his father growing up that he could, he could talk a pretty good game, but it was, we, we learned early on. It was a lot of bluffing, a lot of threats, hoping that a payday would happen. Nick Lambros, by the way, Nick, talk, we, we don't talk much about Nick Lambros. I've said before, or tried to explain before that within a Turner organization at that time, each division, whether it was WCW or Turner Classic Movies or whatever, whatever division, was set up in such a way that all of the operating departments within a division, in WCW's case, television, live events, licensing, merchandising, blah, 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 all of, all of the components of the wrestling business, all reported, if not directly to me, but indirectly to me through vice presidents or executive vice presidents with the exception of two departments, one being finance, the other being legal. Turner corporate believed that finance and legal should be a dotted line connection, meaning you communicate with and all of that. And you, you, you're responsible to certain people in an organization for certain information, but you report directly to somebody either in the finance department or the legal department. And it makes sense in a way, because you, if you're a public company, you need to have complete control over your finances. Same with legal. And Nick Lambros originally worked for Turner legal. He was our, and he was probably a relatively young, relatively new attorney at that time and worked in Turner legal. And for whatever reason, somebody shuffled him all of WCW's legal nonsense. And as a result, I started speaking to Nick on a more frequent basis. As some of these issues came up again, he didn't report to me at that time. He reported to the general counsel, Turner legal, um, Andy Velkoff at the time. Boy, have I got a story about Andy Velkoff. I have some one story I've never told you yet, but someday before I, before I retire doing podcasts, I'll tell you that story. Um, but because I was dealing more and more with, with Nick and I liked the way he thought he wasn't the typical Turner attorney who would be like, up, oh, let's get him to settle. Just they throw in the fucking towel every single time. And they didn't realize or care that every time they did that, it actually came back to haunt me because now I've got more people doing the same thing. But for them, it was an, for those attorneys that work for Turner legal, it was so easy just to make the WCW stuff go away by stroking a check because they didn't want to deal with it. It was a world they weren't familiar with. They just didn't want to deal with it. And Heyman knew that. Heyman and, and, and others took advantage of that over the years. But the reason I like Nick and eventually hired Nick to become a vice president at WCW and report directly to me and not to turn our legal is because he could cut through the bullshit. 
and he wasn't afraid to. He wasn't afraid to take on a challenge legally, and he wasn't inclined, like so many of the other attorneys that I'd dealt with previously, to just pay it off, make it go away, shut him up, stroke a check, not realizing that there's going to be a dozen more coming up behind them in the next year or two. Now, Nick still had to report directly to Turner Legal. I mean, it wasn't that Nick could be completely autonomous from Turner Legal, but we had a much better line of communication once I brought Nick into WCW. Bet you didn't care anything at all about Nick Lambros. No, listen, I love talking about Nick Lambros almost as much as I love talking about Rectech because I know that even though Mrs. B is gone, you still got to be eating good out there, baby. And Rectech makes sure that you can do it every single time. They've got grills ranging for every lifestyle and budget starting at just three ninety nine. But all of them, all of the Rectech amazing all natural hardwood pellet grills focus on flavor, convenience, and versatility. And they've got factory direct pricing that eliminates the middleman, saves you some cash. They even ship all their grills for free. And I have to admit, I've had a pellet smoker before, but I put it side by side, and buddy, there's no comparison. This is the Rolls Royce of pellet grills. It's high quality stainless steel, it's built to, built to last a lifetime, but as we said, very affordable. I'm talking about that flagship model. The RT 700 comes with a 40 pound pellet hopper, 702 square inches of cooking space. The PID Wi-Fi controller is amazing. More on that in a minute. And it's got an incredible six year bumper to bumper warranty. You can bake, smoke, sear, grill, even dehydrate on the grill. I've done all of that except dehydrate all with the push of a button. Everybody in the know chooses Rectech. but while my family likes it is this PID Wi-Fi controller. Turn your grill on, on your phone, turn your grill off on your phone, adjust your temperature up or down on your phone. You can't do that with a charcoal grill. You can't do that with a gas grill. Charcoal grills are messy. Gas grills are tasteless. Those overhyped name brand grills. They don't have near the PID Wi-Fi controller that you have here. I mean, how do you want your steak, buddy? You want it 128 degrees. You got it. You can get it 128 degrees. Exactly. You like it a little more cooked. You like maybe a 135? No problem. You can do that. It makes it that simple. The the flavor, the convenience, the versatility. Buddy, Rectech has set the new standard in grilling. Visit Rectech.com. That's R-E-C-T-E-Q. Use the code Bischoff5 to get 5% off site-wide. That's 5% off their top-notch wood pellet grills. Their one-of-a-kind Rectech ice or coolers. Their chef-tested rubs and sauces, accessories, merch. Everything's 5% off. At rectech.com, when you use the promo code Bischoff5, Eric, you're loving your rectech, are you not? I am. And you know what I made last weekend? What's now, that? I didn't film it. You know, usually I, you know, film the stuff I'm doing and I post it on social media because I have fun doing that stuff. But it was raining outside and I just, eh, just wasn't in the mood. But I made a smoked venison chili on the rectech. Wow. Now, I know you're probably not a big venison eater, right? You don't have to eat and all that. Right. But I do. Mrs. B and I love wild game. You know, we're both going to be going elk hunting uh, next month here in Wyoming. And, and last year I, I got a nice white tail, but I wanted to make something unique on the rec tech. So I thought, huh, I'm going to do a smoked venison chili. Now the problem with venison is it's a very, very lean meat. There's very little fat. So it's very healthy. But when it comes to cooking, because there's there's not a lot of um, fat in it, right, marbling or anything, um, it's sometimes difficult to work with. So I had this idea, and I was so proud of this idea, and I, I still am. 
there's a little store where we live. Uh, it's a cooking supply, basically, but it's like high end, really cool stuff. And they have a section where they have these um, infused oils, different kinds of oils, but infused with different flavors. And I saw an oil there that was, uh, what's it called? Hatch green chili infused oil, olive oil. So I thought, wow, what if I use that olive oil? Because it's fat, right? It's a lot of fat. But I'll, I'll mix that, uh, that infused hatch green chili olive oil in with the venison, put that in a, in a dish, and then smoke it in the Rectech. For, I, God, I smoked it low for about an hour and a half. And then I mixed the chili. I mixed, mixed the venison in with the chili that was already cooking. Conrad, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Smoked venison chili. And I will, I will make it again maybe next weekend if the weather's nice and kind of walk you through the process. But it was like the best chili I've ever had. I, uh, I love Rectech, and I can't wait to try some of your venison chili. Uh, check it out, boys and girls. Pick up the Rectech. You're going to be glad you did. It's a Bischoff five. Save yourself a little, little loop there. Uh, clash 35 is where Raven makes his in-ring debut. And, uh, he announces he's not going to wrestle unless it's a no DQ match. Is this the, the creative way of making Raven different than, you know, let's maybe cater to that ECW audience a little bit, give them more of an ECW style presentation for this character. I think so. You know, that would have been Kevin Sullivan. Kevin would have, would have been involved in, I'm sure with Scotty. Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems apparent. Let's talk about Stevie Richards. Uh, he's going to be paired with Stevie on camera here almost immediately. Um, uh, and that of course was a carryover from the ECW storyline. Any memory on how Stevie becomes part of the package? No. Other than um, it probably made sense to Kevin Sullivan at the time, and and to me, obviously, um, I really liked Stevie Richards. I liked him as a person. Right. I still do. I mean, it's not like I don't like him anymore. I just don't haven't seen him in a long time. Um, great talent. Just never another one of those guys. Just never really clicked beyond you know the roles he was given. Let's talk a little bit about Raven's flock. We start to slowly build it up where we see Raven sitting in the front row at WCW TV. He had great seats for several months here. Uh, the flock grows with Van Hammer, sick boy, Billy Kidman. It feels a little bit like ECW has often been described. The land of the misfit toys. Was this a function of, Hey, we don't have anything for this guy. Let's put him in the flock. Or was Scotty sort of hands on on, Hey, let me have that guy. I don't know is the honest answer. I would imagine Scotty probably had some influence over some of that. I don't think it was a matter of just, let's just slap these guys together. Um, maybe with the exception of Van Hammer, that seems like odd casting to me for whatever reason, but, um, no, I'm sure I'm guessing Scotty would, would have had some input with Kevin on that, putting that group together. Um, the first nitro match happens October 27th. He's going to defeat Scotty Riggs and, uh, what helped change Rick's Riggs look over time. And he even does, which I think is kind of cool. The drop toe hold into a chair to take out the eye. So Riggs is going to start wearing the eye patch. 
That's pretty funny though. I mean, not funny, but I like that. That's creative. A drop toe hold into a chair at the time. I wasn't seeing that a lot. I dug it. What'd you think of that move? Yeah, it's pretty unique, isn't it? Yeah. I like it. So of course, Riggs is eventually going to join Raven's flock after he loses to him at the world war three pay-per-view and, um, Saturn eventually joins the flock as well. And Raven and Saturn together make a lot of people, you know, think, Hey, they're just trying to put some ECW guys here together. Was there a thought behind that? Not necessarily calling it an ECW contingent, but maybe, you know, like I just saw that, uh, Fletch movie and there's a scene where you see the real life, John ham have an on-camera interaction with someone else you are familiar with. If you're a John Han, John ham fan, and you think, oh, those are the guys from, I won't give a spoiler that other thing that is what you're looking for. Or did you think, ah, fuck it. Let's give them a little ACW contingency here. I, I, again, I, I, I hate to answer questions like this because you asked me a direct question. I love being able to give you a direct answer, but I wouldn't have been involved in the creative on this. It really would have been Kevin Sullivan. And I can only guess that's all it is, but I'm guessing Kevin probably thought, let's just take a page out of ECW's book. Kevin had no shame in his game. He wasn't afraid to rip something off. Yeah. If it works, neither, neither was I, by the way, but, um, if, if that was the case, which I think it probably was, cause it's fairly obvious that would have been a Kevin Sullivan, Scotty thing. Uh, it's 1998 and we really start to see Ravens star on the rise. Uh, DDP and Chris Benoit are going to engage in feuds with him. Uh, of course we know in real life, uh, DDP and, and Raven are pretty good pals and an uncensored 98 DDP would defeat Raven and Benoit in a three-way to keep the U S title, but it really helps bring up both guys. And then we even start to see some mainstream mainstream stuff. Raven would attack DDP on the set of MTV's TRL show in the spring of 98. Uh, of course this is a different era. But MTV had a big show at the time, total request live, and it's tuned into, I mean, if you're in high school, you're probably watching that show and that's a key demographic, uh, for advertisers. They want the young people. Well, Hey, here's a way to sort of bleed it over. Now, of course it's not the tonight show. We've talked about that a lot. Kind of a cool opportunity to be doing something with MTV here though. Is it not? Yes. And You'll have to ask DDP about this because I'm not a hundred percent clear or sure that I'm right, but I'm pretty sure that that opportunity came about through DDP because Paige was friends with one of the producers on that show. And I think Paige kind of created that opportunity for himself and Scotty. It wasn't like MTV came to us and said, okay, you know, we need two guys. Who do you got? That was really uh that was just typical DDP picking up the phone and working a contact. I love it. Uh, Thunder on April 9th, we see Raven doing a promo where he's sitting in the corner, as you mentioned, and he's dragged out of the ring by a fan. Boy, when fans get involved, nobody really knows what to expect, but what a moment that was. And then Raven would defeat DDP for that U.S. strap spring stampede 98 on April 19th. Just 10 days later, we would see Raven's rules go down. He wins the belt here in 11 minutes and 52 seconds. It's a wild brawl that goes all over the place. Tons of interference. Meltzer says basic using every shortcut in the world match, but he still dug it. He gave it four stars, but as you said, or as he said, there's a lot of interference. You got 
Lodi's crutch being used van hammer coming off the top rope. Uh, and at this point, Meltzer would even say at this point, Hulk Hogan's nephew, Mike Balea, AKA Horace Boulder came out dressed as a stagehand and clocked page with a stop sign and Raven DDT page into the sink for the pin. Yes. The kitchen sink, the proverbial kitchen sink. I know this quote unquote garbage wrestling isn't really your deal, but this Raven's rules match, man, this was ECW stuff that people wanted to see. And Dave liked it four stars. So to your point, Dave maybe liked it. That doesn't mean the main audience liked it. Dave liked it. And, and how often can you do that kind of stuff? You're going to do that every week. I mean, it's just, I get it. It's a spectacle. People like spectacles. It was different and different is always good, but, and, and again, it's just me, man. I just, that kind of a match is just one and done. Now what? what I, I agree week? in hindsight. Raven should have just poked his index finger right in the DDP's chest. He falls right over, hook the fucking leg, done deal. <laughs> we could, I mean, you couldn't do that every week, but I thank guess. God, right? <laughs> <sighs> it really does give Raven the next step, though. Uh, you, you know, he's it built does. this group around him. He's got a big win on pay per view. It was his style match, and it's going to be huge. Nope, he loses it the next night to Goldberg. Uh, so it was a way to get the belt off of DDP. Another baby face, put it on a heel, have Goldberg squash him the next night. That uh, sucked. Yeah. I mean, listen, That's, transitional that championship. It is what it is. And uh, you know what? Even if it was going to be, which it was give it a month, man. Yeah. What the fuck? No one's going to die. If you drag this out for a little while and try to make it mean a little bit more. So Scotty Levy's got a bitch with me or his time in WCW around this time. <clears throat> that part of it is a valid bitch. Yeah, that, 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 that was shitty. May 9th. Speaking of shitty Chelsea pier in Manhattan is where you guys film the disastrous WCW slash MTV ultimate video bash show. Meltzer described it as saying this was so bad that all standards of bad of this industry have now become passe. The real problem. It was pouring rain and windy as hell. And the event was held outdoors as a result of the weather. There's like less than 50 fans. There announcers, Tony Schiavone and Zabisco acted as if they didn't want to be there either. And there were supposed to be eight matches in a three hour special, but due to the rain, they only had one match. It was a 90 second bout where public enemy beat high voltage. And the rest were bad interviews, bad angles, and worse weather. The show ended up being cut to two hours and it was so bad that the scheduled replay showing of it later that evening was canceled. The show offered the audience a chance to call a 900 line to vote for bands with the winners advancing in a tournament and the final winner would become the MTV champion as, and, and faster than you can say consumer 900 line fraud, it was over with and page and Raven the entire show were set up as a personal vehicle for the two, which had gone, had everything gone right would have been a clever idea. Well, it wasn't. And they wound up in the finals. They did an angle where Raven tried to jump him after losing the phone vote to make page the champ and page laying both he and sick boy out using the bull rope. Page also got to lay out Brad Armstrong earlier in the show with a diamond cutter. We get asked about this show every now and again, there was less than 50 people there, but. Some folks that are listening to this show watched it at home and could not believe how it was almost Murphy's law. 
the weather wasn't cooperating. Nothing went your way, but you got to put on a brave face, but then we're going to bury it and make sure nobody sees this shit ever again. What do you remember about this disastrous event? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) I wasn't there. I didn't produce it. I approved the talent to participate, but that was, that's it. That's all I can tell you. So DDP winds up defeating Raven in the Bowery death cage at uh, slam 98 on May 17th. And that effectively ends that feud. And Raven begins to blame the flock for him losing the U S title. And this eventually leads to the group disbanding Raven's going to lose to Saturn at fall brawl 98. I guess it was time to maybe just split them up and move on at Halloween havoc. Uh, Raven refuses to take on Chris Jericho for the TV title, uh, but he's convinced to do so and loses before taking some time off. He reappears in early 99 in a series of rather depressing promos and vignettes where a camera crew is allowed to follow Raven to his supposed childhood home, where he apparently has led a privileged upper-class lifestyle. Here, he's also going to be reunited with his former valet chastity who WCW had claimed was his sister. And I guess this is, Hey, let's try to add some backstory, some context, if you will. What do you remember about meeting Raven's mom and the house and the bank and the convertible and the whole lap of luxury that maybe folks wouldn't have assumed that this Raven character came from. I mean, I didn't produce it, but I liked the idea of it when, when it was brought to me because I felt like the character didn't need a reason like why is this fucker so depressed who is this guy really yeah i mean okay you're you're disenchanted with life you hate fucking life you're miserable and whatever but you never understood why right it was not you just whatever or just throw the character up against the wall and hope it sticks this this was a means to at least try to add some depth to that character and actually make it make sense i i think it would have been a lot better if that effort would have been put into his character before he started competing. Yes. So the audience knew who he was, why he was and could relate to him or not, or decide they don't want to relate to him, but at least have a feeling as opposed to just floating around out there with a fucking miserable attitude. I kind of thought you'd say that, that you would like it as a ECW fan who liked the Raven character, hated it. This was not for me. Uh, I did not dig it. And this is also going to be a way to introduce the Sandman character. And it's just not one I wanted from these two, but why, I'm, why is that? I just think? like their ECW presentation. I liked that it was hardcore and underground and it felt, it felt dirty. It felt dingy. It felt on the cutting edge. So you, just, you want, you wanted to feel like you needed a tetanus shot after you watched it. Uh, that was the vibe of that character. And now it's almost, it, it became a parody of itself here to me too, too soft, perhaps too, too Hollywood. You know, you have described at times saying that the WWF product, WWE product today feels like Disney on ice. It's overproduced mm-hmm. and you like maybe the more gorilla style shooting style of AEW. Sometimes that presentation feels a little more gritty, a little more real. And I, I kind of felt the same way. Like. The ECW stuff felt like, uh, an HBO documentary, you know, where we're following real life characters around and seeing them in less than circumstances. So in other words, if there was an EC, if, if, if a portion of the ECW audience did follow Raven over to WCW, they probably would have been turned off by that whole thing as you were, yeah, because it was too, 
it was too TV. You lost them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get it. And I understand why. Uh, Raven and Saturn do reunite to win the tag titles in May of 99. It's been almost two years into this Raven experiment here at Slamboree. Uh, they lost the titles three weeks later to the Jersey triad, DDP, Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, Raven is injured here and replaced in the match by Conan. And later Raven would join Vampiro and ICP as the Deadpool, but he's probably not very happy about that. In fact, in August of 99, he goes on man cow and well, it doesn't go well. The observer would say this, uh, Raven has been very vociferous about his unhappiness with the promotion. He's about one month away from returning to the ring. He was on man cow in Chicago and ripped the company claiming they use camera tricks to make it appear. Some wrestlers aren't as over as they really are. He talked about the same problems. Everyone <laughs> talks about. He also went on the ECW website and said he'd rather be working for ECW. He's told a lot of people when his contract is up, which in about, which isn't about 10 months that he's gone. Uh, let's fast forward now. Uh, let's remember now that happens in August of 99 and on the August 30th, 99 edition of the observer, Meltzer would say this Bischoff called a meeting of the wrestlers before nitro on August 23rd, in Las Vegas, and began slinging out various wrestlers, singling out rather various wrestlers for public tongue lashings. He began by saying he was going to turn things around and the only wanted wrestlers in the company who wanted to be in the company. His first target was Scott Levy, AKA Raven, who he yelled at for his negative remarks uh, to the company publicly, particularly on the man cow radio show out of Chicago. He offered Raven a release and walked out of the meeting. Now the next week, Dave would say this, the return of Raven, who was given a limited release by WCW after Eric Bischoff's nutty escapade on August 23rd to where he could work for ECW, but not the WWF until his WCW contract expires in about 10 months resulted in his signing with ECW and debuting on August 26th in Queens, New York. Now this is a big deal because this has been discussed and debated and beat up a lot. Because some people have the story out there that says, Hey man, I only want people who want to be here. And if you don't want to be here, there's the fucking door. Let me know you want to leave and I'll give you your release. And supposedly Raven goes, I'll take it. And then you say, well, no, you can leave, but you can't go work for Vince. Is that the way you remember it going down or no? No. I mean, effectively. Yeah. Okay. Effectively. When I threw it out there and I was hot. Yeah. I was pissed off. Um, to me, what, what Scotty Levy did was chicken shit. Not cool. He's just being a bitch. And once someone falls into that category with me, I treat them with similar respect or lack thereof. Yes. So yeah, I threw it out there and then it was Nick Lambros that said, okay, great. We'll let him go. But here's where he's not going to go. Okay. The limited release was, was really Nick's idea. And I thought it was great. Checkmate mucker father. Yeah. Go ahead. Go work for Paul. Who the reason you came to work for me is because he wasn't paying you, but Hey, go, go ahead go back. Cool. By the way, in doing this, uh, Meltzer would say Raven agreed to a one-year deal. He was earning 275 K on his WCW contract. He took an ECW deal believed to be in the range of 150 for the year. And he told friends he'd finish up in the time frame of his WCW contract in ECW before going to the WWF. But in the ECW dressing room noted that his original plan years ago 
was to work four months in ECW before moving on, but he wound up staying nearly three years. So be careful what you wish for. You were making 275 to not be used very often or very well. And now you're making 150 if the check's clear. Kind of a curious decision in hindsight. One I can't help but wonder if maybe he thought was maybe one step back for two steps forward. Maybe he thought the WCW organization had mangled or misused his Raven character and maybe he could get it back on track and then take that new attitude leap to the WWE and maybe more money. We do know that's going to work out. He's going to go there, but creatively, he probably wasn't nearly as fulfilled in the WWF either. He did enjoy his greatest critical success in ECW, but critical success and financial success don't always go hand in hand. What'd you think of his decision to take you up on, on leaving and take a pay cut? Was it just a pissing contest between the two of you at that point? Do you think? No, I think he would look, I was, I, I could at that point, And I don't feel the same way now. Obviously, I under, you know, time has changed time heals all wounds, I guess. Yeah. But at the time I thought, fuck him, you know, sooner he's gone, the better. He was just a negative, miserable influence. He's just everywhere he went. There was just like this miserable, dark shadow following him. Um, he was just a, not a fun person to be around. He wasn't somebody that I even wanted to make eye contact with backstage. So I was excited that he wanted to leave. Let's add some context to this too. What else happened in September of 99? I got fired. I'm just saying he may be at the end of his rope. Like, man, I'm fucking hated here. They're not doing this right. They're not handling me right. But you're kind of going through the same thing here too. You're burnt out. You, you know, uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin Nash said on his podcast, not too long ago, great podcast, by the way, go check it out. Sean Oliver, click this. He said, Eric's enemy wasn't in New York. Eric's enemy was in the other tower. That's who Eric was working against. And I thought, wow, man, Kevin in one sentence could really dial it in because sometimes on the show, we're like, what do you mean? You didn't watch ECW. What do you mean? You didn't watch WWE. That wasn't who you felt like you were working against. You're working against the inner politics and inner workings of your very own organization. And I just think it's interesting that when you've just maybe had it all the way up to here, Hey, you know what? Cause I'm sure in your head, you're thinking you motherfuckers don't want to be here. Cause I don't ask for a release. I'll get you one. <laughs> I was, I was right there. I was, I was. Yeah. I was probably trying to live vicariously through them. Actually. <laughs> it's crazy when you think, cause like, it's easy to say Bischoff's grandstanding. And then you realize, wait, he's gone like 10 days later or something, you know, like in this same calendar month, he gone. It's, yeah. it's crazy to think about the timing of this and how maybe you two just got together at a time. And, and this, this came to a head of just bad times for both of you. And I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. Now you do get to work with him again. I think the next time you probably see him is when you showed up to work for the WWE, right? How was that? What was that first time seeing him in real life again? Like, I don't even remember Conrad, you know, and I think part of it is and looking back, you know, it's kind of a head, head fuck, but I got let go in 99. They brought me back in 2000 for a minute that lasted for however long it lasted. 
And I was out of the business until I went back to work for WWE or went to work for WWE in 2002. That period of time, 99, 2001 to three and a half, basically three and a half years, seemed like 30 years. Yeah. So much had changed that by the time I got into WWE, it's like everything that happened before was such a distant and vague memory. I don't even know if I had a reaction to Scotty or, or how I would have treated him. It, it certainly would have been, would have had anything to do with my last interaction with him. I would have forgotten all about that. Or that baggage would have not applied anymore. I would have dropped that baggage off a long time ago. I believe that so, on your yeah. side, but on his side, he probably. Oh did. no, he's still no, he's still a bitch. Every time he sees me, he still gives me. Oh, to this day, he still gives me a side eye. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So even now today, he's he's not really a Bischoff fan. No, no. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll cross paths every once in a while, and you know he'll look over and kind of give me the side eye and little nod, acknowledgement, but that's it. And yeah, yeah hey, I don't care. Carry all the gr- I don't. I don't have time in my life to carry grudges and what, do very you, few people that make me feel angry when I look at them. But evidently, I make him feel angry when he looks at me. You worked so with I, him a little bit in TNA, though, right? Did I? I don't know. I thought so in '09. Maybe not. It would have been just for a minute. But again, by 2009, I wouldn't have. You know, I didn't, I didn't carry any grudges. Right. It happened in WCW in '99. Had nothing to do with where my head was at in 2009. Let me ask you a question here from Mr. William. We solicited your questions on Twitter. If you've got a question for next week, boy, we'd love to hear from you. Find us online at 83 weeks. Next week, we're going to be talking about Eric's 2005 run in the WWE. So we talk at all things. Oh, five next week. If you've got a question, it's at 83 weeks, but this one from Mr. William is interesting. Eric, we know you didn't like the Raven character. Was there ever a discussion of changing his gimmick completely in WCW to where it was just no more Raven? No, no, again, and I'm only going to say this one more time. So as not to bore people, but the fact that I didn't like the character didn't matter. Yeah. If the character was going to work. It was going to work whether I like it or not. But the point is you didn't think it was getting over. So do I you, didn't. Do you, did you ever consider changing course? Let me, let me take that back. It's not that I didn't think the character wasn't going to get over. I just didn't think the character was going to get over to the extent that Scotty Levy did. There's a difference. He thought that was more see, of an upside than you did. For sure. Yeah. He saw himself at the very, very top. Yeah. You know, he saw himself main eventing pay-per-views. I didn't, but in my opinion, I don't think that one has to be necessarily a main eventer in order to have a successful career or have an important role on a show. So I saw Scotty's character as something that was, it, it should be on the show. Not yeah. because I liked it, but because certain, certain percentage of the audience did. I just didn't see it being the same level of success that Scotty did. And that's where his frustration came. You're going to love this. Joe Lawson brought this up. What was the point of Raven winning the U S belt from DDP at a pay-per-view only to turn around and give the U S title to Goldberg the next night. And we talked about that. I think it's because you didn't want to 
have DDP and Goldberg have that interaction yet. And you wanted to continue the Goldberg push. So I get that storytelling wise, but here's the thing that Joe threw in here. They didn't just get my attention. They got somebody else's attention. Let's follow up again. What was the point of Raven winning the U S belt from DDP at a pay-per-view only to turn around and give the U S title to Goldberg the next night. PS they WCW then aired a Raven t-shirt commercial right after he lost the belt. I thought that was interesting. And so did Raven Raven responded on Twitter and said, I didn't even know there was a commercial for my shirt, but the irony of the time we promoted the Raven shirt is right after he lost the belt. That's kind of fun. Yep. There, there, there's, there's an example of wheels falling off all over the place. The merchandising wheel is not talking to the yes. live event deal and nobody's talking and everybody's moving at a hundred miles an hour and nobody's communicating and shit falls off the wagon. Imagine that. Uh, here's a question from a friend of the show, Ray LaDuke. Was there ever any discussion in bringing in Tommy dreamer to feud with Raven like they did in ECW? Now, before you just immediately shut that down, he asks, because we did see Perry Saturn come over. We did see Sandman come over. We did see the pairing on camera of Raven and Stevie Richards, Tommy dreamer, his most notable feud through the entire run in ECW. Do you remember there being at any point, Tommy dreamer discussions? What if, or no, not with me, doesn't mean Kevin and, yeah. and others didn't discuss it, but not, not with me. I didn't really know who Tommy dreamer was till I got to TNA. Last one, soft custard. And I'm going to give you the final word here, Eric. You can wrap us up, take us home here. What do you think Raven's legacy will ultimately be? Frustration. I think, I think the, 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 the way that Scotty Levy wore his frustration on camera and in public as he did with man, Kyle, Chicago. I think that's what people are going to remember him for. It's just being kind of miserable, either as a character or as a person. I mean, I hate because he's a good guy and he's really smart. But there's a part of him that's dark, that's real, that's not a character. It's real. And to not be able to separate that part of who you really are with that character that you're portraying means that you're going to be carrying that around with you. I don't know. Eric, I know you don't intend to, I'm not going to pretend, uh, that, you know, you and I talk every day or we're best of friends, but I will consider us pretty good friends. I talk to you just about as much as I talk to anybody else. And I, I, I just get the vibe through this whole show and, and really through the whole podcast that we've done for these years. And for whatever reason, you just don't fucking like the guy. And no, that's not true. And I don't, I'm, 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 I, I, I don't dislike you. Well, I, don't, I guess what I'm trying to drive at is, do you think it's possible that we could somehow just hit control, alt delete, hit a reset, maybe get you and Raven together for a beer and a chat sometime. Oh, in a minute, in a minute, I'd love to make that happen because I feel like all the interactions with him have been a great, witty, charming, funny guy. And you and I talk for hours every single week. And it just feels like it almost has like that Eric Bischoff lip curl. Whenever Raven comes up. Ugh. And he probably does the same. And it's like, 
Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> Feels like we could do a little better in 2022. We need to get you yeah, guys. Yeah, man. Let's do, maybe we should do a show together or something, and you could be the referee in the middle or whatever, and and whatever. But or or just meet for beer somewhere. That's fine too. No, I I, I want to make sure because you know in one minute I'm talking about the business and the character, yes. and then in the next sentence we're talking about the person. Yes, and. And sometimes I don't do a very good job of making sure I distinguish between the two in the way I discuss them. I, I never disliked Scotty Levy at all. I was pissed at Scott Levy when he pulled his little bullshit CM Punk nonsense on the man cow show. Cause I just, I have zero respect for people that do that. I just, they go on a list of names of people that they have a hard time coming off of. It's kind of unfor- unforgivable to me to do that. Um, but it doesn't mean I can't get over it or I'm not over it. You know, I understand it. He was frustrated. I get it. But I don't dislike Scott Levy at all. Let me I say, just didn't get the character. Timing is everything. If you've had any real success in, in entertainment or your business or your relationships or just success period. I've learned that boy, timing is just something you can't fake it. It's either the right timing or not. And I can't help but wonder in hindsight, if the timing was wrong for Raven to come into WCW there and was it right for him to go? Cause take a look at what the WWF was doing in like the summer of 97. If Raven would have been able to jump there as opposed to WCW, clearly WCW was blowing the doors off of the WWF in summer of 97, but creatively him working with a Vince Russo and trying this character where they're taking real chances, real stretches, real adult oriented angles. DX is starting to become a thing. I could see the Raven character being more successful for Vince McMahon's WWF in 1997 than I could Eric Bischoff's WCW. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yes. Because it the Raven character, while my cup of tea, was a strong character, a visual character. Um, and WWE was desperate. Not maybe desperate, it's not the right word, but yeah, kind of sort of desperate. They were looking hard. They were looking hard for something that was going to change the tide. And I think that would have possibly, probably created more of an opportunity in WWE than that character had in WCW because we weren't desperate. Right. We were, we were deep, deep, deep in terms of roster at the very top of marketable, bankable money main events. So we didn't have the same need or level of desperation, I guess. I hate the word desperation, but you know what I mean? We didn't have the same need that WWE did. So yeah, I think so. I think that's more than fair. Well, boys and girls, I really enjoyed this chat about Raven and, uh, probably enjoyed it more than Raven enjoyed hearing it, but I hope he heard the end where I said, Hey man, let's get together for a beer. Let's make that happen. Uh, interestingly enough, the guy who edits together our show, uh, Jojo Feeney, uh, he is also great friends with Raven and works with Raven closely on Raven's podcasts and all that Raven does online. So maybe we can make that happen sooner rather than later, because I do think you guys probably have more in common than you imagine. Uh, I don't pretend to be like super great friends with Raven, but he's been a cool guy every time we've had interaction and 
We're going to endeavor to make that happen, but not before next week, because we're going to talk about Vince McMahon blowing his knees out at the rumble, uh, raw moving over to Japan, Bischoff announcing money in the bank for the very first time, catching the RKO Batista turning on Hunter, the ECW invasion, John Cena, joining raw slapping referees, Kurt angle, and so much more. We recap your run in the WWE in 2005. And before you know it, man, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be Halloween. I can't believe here we are in October. Is it just me or is this year flown by Eric? Man, it's flown by. It is flown by. It's just, I mean, Christmas is going to be here in a minute. It's, it's nuts, but Hey, before we go, I want to, I, I, I want to talk about this earlier, but I just get caught up in our conversation. Yeah. You know, I love to cook, you know, I love to grill, right? Yes. I love good quality meat. And, and Mrs. B and I pay a lot of attention to where we, our food comes from, right? How it's processed. If it's processed at all, we love organic stuff, blah, 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 blah. Wyoming legacy meats is a processor retailer here in town that I've been using for a long time, but they've really, really upped their game. They've got their own USDA processing plant, which means that when I go to Wyoming legacy meats and I buy a cut of steak or a pound of ground beef or whatever it is, I know that that ground beef or that steak, that meat product came from a local grower here in Wyoming, right around Yellowstone national park, because Wyoming legacy meats sources their meat from local growers here that grow their meat to certain standards. And they have an amazing, amazing selection of some of the highest quality meat I've seen anywhere, anywhere in the country. And I'm encouraging you to go to wyominglegacymeats.com, shop their catalog. When you see their Wagyu Angus meat, if you can give that a shot, give it a shot. It's amazing quality meat. It's better than anything that I've had. It's any of the finest steakhouses I've ever been in. You've got to give it a try. That's wyominglegacymeats.com. Use the promo code Eric and uh, see with the free shipping, anything over $159 free shipping. They've got some amazing Buffalo. They have great. They have what they call uh, regenerative beef, meaning it's all just grass fed organic it's some of the highest quality meat you can find anywhere. And it'll ship it right to your door. Check it out. Dude, this is awesome. I'm checking out. Yeah. You're going to, I'm going to get you some, I'm going to ship you a box. And I know you believe me when I tell you this stuff, uh, because we are good friends, you know, I wouldn't bullshit you, but you can't believe it until you actually try it. It's that good. I'm all about it. I, I mean, they got Wagyu Angus ground beef, 80, 20. My, my wife hears that buddy. That's all we're using. This is awesome. And even like, if you're making, even if you're putting in like a spaghetti or lasagna or something, yeah. the, the difference in quality is so noticeable that it's hard to believe it's, 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 and like, I can't go back and eat anything else, but Wagyu Angus now I'm spoiled. Man, they got Angus liver in here. They got everything. Guys, check this out. Wyominglegacymeats.com. What was the promo code, Eric? Eric, just That's Eric. easy. Eric, come on. They got tongue. I got to tell, I got to, yeah, I got to tell Silva. Lingua. They can make you lingua tacos. Tell Mr. Silva. He loves it. He won't. You'll go to Whataburger. <laughs> Check it out, boys and girls. WyomingLegacyMeats.com. That promo code is Eric. We'll be back next week talking all things Eric in WWE 2005, right here on 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. 
Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.